Welcome into our 2019 MLB Draft Preview Show. Uh, we are joined by MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis. You can follow Jim on Twitter at Jim Callis MLB. Jim, welcome back to the show. I'm sure you're a busy man this time of year. Yeah, no, good to be here. But yeah, but you are correct. You know, the draft is approaching, so uh, just kind of you know up to my ears, almost 24/7 uh, talking or writing about the draft. But but I enjoy it, so it's all good. All right, Jim, so uh, we'll uh, get started here. Um, something that me and Matt have been discussing the last few weeks, obviously we had the uh, NFL draft and the NBA draft lottery uh, last week. Uh, I wanted to get your take on whether you think a MLB draft lottery would be something uh, you could see happening in the future and whether or not you think it would be good or bad for the game. Um, you know, I don't really... <laughs> I don't really know how much, like, what percentage chance I'd assign. I mean, it's it's not. I've I've heard writers talk about it. I haven't really heard anybody in the game talk about it, which makes any sense that it's not a real pressing issue. I mean, if enough people wanted it, like, I, I don't think like if if MLB wanted it, I don't think the union's gonna like hold them up. Like, hey, you know, we need major concessions to agree to a draft lottery. I don't think it would really change a whole lot. Uh, you know, hey, there's all this talk, you know, people tanking or whatever. You know, when you're, when you're going to have a bad team, hey, there's no guarantee you're going to have the worst record in baseball, get the number one pick anyway. And I guess I, I don't think it would change a whole lot. I mean, I still think even if you had a lottery, it would still make sense that if you can't really contend, there's no point in, in being a mediocre 77-win team. You're not, I don't necessarily believe that a lot of teams are out there saying, oh, let's just all lose 100-plus games, which is maybe easier said than done. But, you know, I, I do think, like, you know, if you're just kind of stuck in the middle in mediocrity, you know, you're going to be more apt to sell pieces off and do a total rebuild. And, you know, whether or not the worst team gets the number one pick or the worst teams go into a lottery – I, I don't think it makes a difference. I, I, you know, I know, you know, JJ Cooper, who I worked with at Baseball America, has talked about the idea of, uh, uh, you know, penalizing teams that, that finish with losing records, you know, X number of years in a row. But like again, you know, I don't think anybody necessarily looks to be bad for five years in a row. And I, I think, you know, the reason the draft was created was to save teams money. But the, the side effect of the draft was. It distributed talent more equitably than it did before the draft existed in 1965, and and I think it does a pretty good job of doing that. So I, I'd still be for, you know, the worst team gets the first pick. You know, you give those teams a better chance to rebuild because there's more value at the top of the draft. So, um, you know, I haven't heard much talk about it in in you know MLB circles, and I, I'm fine with the status quo. No, definitely. Um... Now, another part of other major sports drafts, obviously, uh, you're allowed to trade the draft picks and stuff. And we had that situation a few years ago with Trey Turner where the Padres had moved him to the Nationals and you get the whole Trey Turner rule uh, eliminating the player to be named uh, from, what was it, players who were drafted. You had to wait a year to be traded or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was funny because that was actually in response to <laughs> what happened with Pete Cavilia back in 1985 where he did not want right. to play for the Expos and and agreed that he only agreed to sign. You know, back then there was no compensation, uh, so they would have just lost the number eight, I think it was eight overall pick in the draft. So they put that rule in, and, and then it kind of came around full circle, and they decided it, it, the rule was not doing what they wanted anyway. But um, 
But yeah, it, it, I think we may see more trading of draft picks. You know, right now you could trade like the handful of competitive balance picks. I, I think it would create more interest. I think it would be a nice asset for teams to use if they're they're trying to win now. You know, especially a a, a smaller or middle level market. Uh, that doesn't have you know as many assets as say one of the wealthier teams, you know would give them you know if they have a good team, yeah you know, I'll just use for example this year you know the, the Brewers or, or the Twins, you know, aren't big spenders, but you know if they could trade their first round pick, they they might be able to get like a really nice piece to help their team this year. So I think we may I mean I've I've heard arguments both for and against it. There are people very strong feel strongly on either side in, in baseball. I, I do think eventually. We'll we'll have more trading and draft picks because to be honest, the, the real reason and, and I'm not even making this up. When, when I started asking about this, you know, ten or fifteen or twenty years ago, so I've been covering this stuff forever. Well, you know, why don't we have trading and draft picks? And, and really, the answer was because that's the way we've always done it. And I just think that that's just not going to fly uh, indefinitely. So we, we probably will get more trading and draft picks at some point. Yeah, I think that that'll help. Uh... Well, it probably make you a little busier around uh, July with the trading of draft picks. Probably uh, a couple more trades go through at the deadline. Um, yeah, it but. could. And, and you know, and it, I mean, from a selfish standpoint, I, I, I like the status quo because if you could trade pit more picks before the draft, it would just make projecting the draft that much more difficult. But but it's fine. I I, I do think we'll. You know, I don't know if it'll be five years or ten years down the road, but I, I do eventually think we'll see more trading of draft picks. I I think they'll they'll suddenly you know maybe they'll limit. You know, like you can only trade picks in the top, you know, round or two rounds, or maybe you can only trade picks one year in the future so somebody doesn't trade away like a, a bunch of draft picks. And I guess they'll have to figure out, you know, really one of the things you logistically you have to figure out is, is what do you do with free agent compensation? Because it's not really fair if a team's supposed to lose a first round pick for signing a free agent and they've traded the pick away. You know, what happens then? Do they lose their second round or do they lose a first round in a future year? So they have to work out some logistics with that, but, but we probably will see that down the road. Absolutely. Um, and then moving on, I noticed that you have two guys. Not only are they both from New Jersey, but they're both from Del Barton and uh, Jack Leiter and Anthony Volpe. Um, I wanted to get your take on how big an effect Mike Trout's success in the majors have had uh, for scouts and how they uh, perceive the Northeast, specifically New Jersey? Um, I, you know, I don't think it's really changed, to be honest with you. I mean, there have been players, good players who came out of that area before Mike Trout, and there have been good players who, you know, will come out of the area after Mike Trout. I mean, a couple of years ago, Jay Groom, who hasn't done a lot in pro ball because he's been hurt, but, you know, he's from New Jersey, and he was, you know, kind of the number one prospect in the draft. You know, he was for us and for some other people, too. Um you know, I, I do think it's funny. Uh, you always have to be careful with Mike Trout because if you do any kind of analysis of the draft, you know, Mike Trout, you know, is so ridiculously good. I mean, he's probably the best player to this point of his career of, of any player in history in terms of what he's accomplished. That any kind of draft study you do with Mike Trout, like, makes that demographic look really good. Uh, you know, if you're looking at, you know, Mike Trout was 17 when he signed, and I honestly think that's part of the reason that you have some teams clamoring for a 17-year-old guy. You know, they, they think that's a big factor in the draft. And, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's funny you brought up New Jersey because, you know, if you were to do a demographic study now, let's say the last 10 drafts where guys had times to get to the big leagues, you know, the, probably the best demographic out there, you know, in the early rounds would be New Jersey high school hitter. But if if you were to do that study in 2009, the year Mike Trout came out, 
<laughs> you, you'd go back and you'd see guys like Billy Roll, who was the number nine overall pick and, and never got to the big leagues, was a bust. <laughs> Jack Cust, who was kind of a one-dimensional guy. Yep. Eric Duncan was a disappointment. Like in 2009, if you, if you were doing like a demographic study, you'd be like, oh, man, New Jersey high school hitters, they don't pan out. So um, I, I don't think Mike Trout like specifically makes people say, oh, we've got to bear down on the, on the Northeast more because, I mean, teams have always had scouts up there. It's not like the area it wasn't scouted, and it's also not like teams have said, oh, we're going to you know, put twice as many scouts into there. You know, we'll, we'll double our chances of, of, of you know, being able to cover the area and find Mike Trout. I just think – you know, I think everybody pretty much realizes that you, you, you've got to cover the whole country. You know, some years the, the best player in the draft comes out in New Jersey. It isn't always, uh, you know, Texas or California or Florida. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think – I really don't think teams are scouting the Northeast any more extensively than they were, you know, 10 years ago when Mike Trout was a high school senior. Jamie, i got to say you're killing me. I'm, uh, I'm an Orioles fan, and you just named two former Orioles, so. That's right. That's right. So. <laughs> Um, Jack, I guess Jack has turned out okay, but so zeroing in on this draft in particular uh, for the 2019 draft, it just seems to me that this draft is really, really top heavy, and compared to prior years, it doesn't have a lot of depth. Would you would you kind of say that's fair? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, yes and no. Um. It's it's just a it's a weird draft in that the first six picks are probably going to be hitters, and there are more college position players and definitely more hitters at the top. Well, I think it's also a function of that this is like about the worst group of, of college first round worthy pitchers I can ever remember. There there's only you know about maybe five or six consensus guys, and you know the the top four or five of them are all going to go pretty quick after those hitters go off the board. But um. You know, I, I kind of like, you know, the pitching in the second round, you know, relative to what it is most years, better than I like the pitching in the first round. So I, I do think there is there is some depth in, in the second round. It, it's just a very weird draft. And, you know, Adley Rutschman's very talented, and Bobby Witt, and some of these other hitters too. But I, I know personally I'm not looking at the top of the draft going, wow, this is a special year. Um, it, it's just very weird with the pitching. No, definitely. Um but a question that I had uh, for you, Jim, was I see that you got guys like Greg Jones, uh, Drake Jameson, and Matt Warner in your top 100 here, and they're all, they're kind of the mid-major guys. Um, do you foresee any of the mid-major college guys slotting up into the earlier parts of the first draft, whether it's the – well, I guess it's the middle or the, or the top of the draft? Yeah, I mean, the guys you, you said it there, you know, I think Greg Jones, I don't think it's universal – but I think he, he has a, a number of spots he could go toward the end of the first round, like in the bottom third. He's got first-round tools out of UNC Wellington. I mean, he's an 80 runner. He's a switch hitter. He's got some sneaky power. Um, you Maybe he fits better at center field than shortstop, but it's, it's, it's a really good athlete. You know, Dre Jameson, you know, pound for pound, might have the best fastball in, in college baseball. He's, he's listed at 6'165". Um, he's hit 98. He sits at 93-96 and, and keeps that velocity throughout games. Um, he's got some power to his breaking stuff too. He's a Ball State right-hander. I think he's going to go like late first. Maybe that would be a little bit reach, but I could see him going in the sandwich round or top of the second round. I think he's going to go pretty good. Um, and I've already who, who's the third guy you mentioned? The, uh, Matt Walner from uh, Southern. Oh yeah, from Southern Miss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's. You know, he's probably going, uh, you know, I thought he had a chance to go in the first round. I think he's probably going to go more early second round, but he's got some of the best raw power in the draft. And, 
you know, so he's won, and you know, you know, the beats college baseball. You know, again, I'm gonna sound like I'm old now, and I guess I am old, but I've been covering this for 30 years. And when I start started, you know, you you had probably the same 10 or 15 schools that if you, you know, five or six of them would get to the college world series every year, and and there weren't as many good programs as there are now, and, and now there's just a a ton of good programs, you know, you, you know, outside the the Power Five conferences, and there, there's good mid-major prospects every year. You know, Will Robertson at Creighton is an interesting one. Um, I, you know, there's a, a guy I just happened to be writing him up, and there, there's others who probably rank a little higher. But like, there's a, you know one of the best defensive catchers in the draft as a kid named Drew Millis at at Missouri State. Um, so yeah, it, it's always kind of interesting to keep an eye on the mid-major. You know, Ryan Pepio at Butler. Uh, is probably a second-round pick. So there, there's always some some good, interesting mid-major guys, and this year's no exception. One of the pitchers has kind of come out of nowhere is Seth Johnson at Campbell. Right. You know, could go in the late first round. I mean, there, there's just a ton of mid-major guys who are who are who are really intriguing. Elon George Kirby is another one that I got to stop looking at the, in my list. <laughs> I, I'm going. I'm working from way off the bottom. But Elon George Kirby is one of those pitchers who's probably going to go in the top 15 picks. Um, you know, and he's another mid-major guy. So. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of talent outside the top conferences. Yeah, I was uh I was actually gonna briefly touch on Seth Johnson. I I saw some of his uh his stats and and his write up on a scouting report. He's uh, looking impressive, but obviously we can't do a show like this and not talk about Adley Rutschman, who's probably at this point the consensus number one prospect in the draft. Um, just obviously the hit tool, the power tool, the defense, and the throwing arm. Um, I was actually reading a piece by Dan Connolly, who's a, a local writer for The Athletic. He kind of went out to Oregon and detailed his lineage um, out there, so that was kind of cool. Uh, do you do you kind of see him as the best draft prospect we've seen since someone like a Bryce Harper? Hmm. I don't know if I'd go quite that far. And that was a great piece by Dan in The Athletic. I mean, Adley is very, very good. I mean, he'd be in the discussion, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh I mean, Casey Mize, Casey Mize last year, uh, you know, was about as good a college pitching prospect as you're going to see. You know, he's probably the best college pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg. So, like, I, I see, you know, Casey Mize versus Adelaide Rutschman would be a pretty interesting uh, debate. You know, Garrett Cole was as yeah. well. Um but yeah, I mean, when you're talking about, I mean, you, I think you could make the argument. I mean, because if you're talking about position scarcity, it's hard to find catchers. And I mean, Adelaide had a great year as a sophomore. He's having an even better year as a junior. Uh, he's a switch hitter. He's got power. He can hit for average. I, I don't know if he's still leading NCAA Division One in walks, but if he's not, he's right at the top of the charts. Sure. He's athletic for a catcher. He's got a plus arm. He's good receiver. Um, great makeup. So yeah, I mean it's 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 hard to find fault with him, and he definitely is the consensus number one prospect. And so, kind of a follow up question to that: this would be the million dollar question, or I guess you could say the eight million dollar question. Is there any chance whatsoever that the Orioles do not go Adley Rutschman number one? Uh, obviously, Mike, Michael Elias has experience drafting like a Carlos Correa and, and kind of signing him under slot, and and you know picking up like another prospect a little bit later in the draft. Do you see them? Any chance they they do that same thing? Well, I mean, I think there's always a chance they could go in a different direction. I mean, there's a little bit of whispers because he had a shoulder injury in high school, but I, I don't think it's really serious. I mean, you know, could they go in a different direction? They could. The, the big difference between 
when they took Correa, they didn't take Correa because he was cheap. They took Correa because he was literally the best signable player on their board. I, I, I still think they wanted Mark Appel that year, who they got the next year. That was the first year of the bonus pool system. They weren't, you know, Mark Appel was advised by Scott Boris, and they weren't going to agree to a deal before the draft. Boris thought he was going to blow up the draft, that somebody was going to take Appel later and, and give him a huge bonus and, and give up, you know, two first-round picks as a penalty. And, and Boris was going to show that the talent dictated more than the pool did. And number two on the Astros list was Carlos Correa. It just was a happy coincidence for them that they could, you know, sign him. I, I think the agent actually misread the market a little bit because – Next on their list was Byron Buxton, and if Byron Buxton goes number one, then Carlos Correa probably would have gone number two, but the consensus at the time was that he was probably going to go six or seven. So it was, uh, you know, yeah, they took advantage of the situation, but, but the key part was Carlos Correa was the best signable player on the board, and you can't, you can't mess around with the number one pick, and you certainly can't mess around with it this year, and here's why. <laughs> like, like, I don't know who would be, like, all got, the six hitters are going to go one through six, all of them have a pretty good chance to go in the top four. So you're not going to get any of those guys at a super discount. Like, like you, know, right. you know, let's say you wanted, I don't know, Andrew Vaughn. Um, I don't think Andrew Vaughn's going to tell you he's going to sign for $5 million. Or, you know, you know, if you want, you know, or if you try to squeeze somebody, like let's say you want J.J. Bleday or Riley Green. Well, those guys might go fourth in the draft or fifth in the draft, so they're not going to lose that much money. But let's say there was some guy out there, like, and I don't know who it would be, um, that they really, really like, that they're going to get a great deal on. Like, like I'll just pull one out of a hat. Well, let's say they wanted Josh Young, who's one of the best college hitters out there, who's going to go in the teens, and Josh Young will sign for $4.5 million with the number one overall pick. That would be a ridiculously bad move because the Diamondbacks have $2.3 million more in their bonus right. pool, and they pick four times before Baltimore picks again. So if you were going to do that strategy, you were going to sacrifice talent at the top to save money, and maybe you're thinking, okay, we'll go get Matthew Allen, who's the top high school pitcher in the draft, but he's going to be you know, a high price tag. Or we're going to go get Maurice Hampton, who's a – LSU uh, cornerback recruit, you know, so you're going to have to buy them away from football. We'll, we'll go get right. those guys. We're going to crush this. Well, Dimebacks might just step in and take those guys. they got four chances to. So you can't play games with that pick, and especially not this year, where the Dimebacks have four picks in between your picks, and there's several teams that have two or three picks before the Orioles pick again. Um, and, and so, like, I think it would be very hard to know, like, if you were going to save a lot of money to try to go big with your later picks – there's no way to guarantee that the guys you want would get to you. Okay, so I'm going to do a quick rapid fire for you. These are just sure. this, this is just based off your latest mock draft, and just give me you know a quick take on them and kind of why you have them where they are right now. Um, so first one would be C.J. Abrams, uh, high school player. You have him currently number three, and from what I've seen, he has an 80 grade speed. Yeah, he can you know 75 or 80, but he, he's one of the fastest runners in the draft. And what's nice is he's not just a speed guy. He can really hit. Um, he's, he's looked better in shortstop than he had in the past. I think you feel better that he's going to stay there. And the feeling with having him at number three to the White Sox is that they would like to get up the middle player because they've, they've acquired a lot of, lot of corner you know, infielders and outfielders. Uh, you know, so that, that was the thinking with that one. Uh, number four in your draft board is J.J. Blade out of Vanderbilt. Uh, just absolute raw power. Uh, he's pretty similar to, I'd say, like a Hunter Bishop. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think the difference between him and Bishop is he's a better pure hitter. 
Um, and, and Hunter's probably a little bit better athlete. So, um, yeah, Bleday actually came into the year as a hit over power guy, and the power started to come out in the Cape wow. Cod League last summer. Um, and the last time, I, I haven't checked since the weekend, but he's leading the NCAA Division One in home runs going in the weekend. But, yeah, it, it's he and Bishop have similar power. Bishop's a better athlete. Bleday's a better hitter. Number nine on your board is Jackson Rutledge, the JUCO pitcher. Uh, if he goes number nine, he would be the highest drafted junior college pitcher ever. Yeah, he would he would match Kevin Apier, who went number nine in 1987. Um, and Rutledge is a guy who was at Arkansas last year, didn't pitch a lot, had a hip injury, wasn't on the postseason roster, and they went all the way to the College World Series finals. Um, and he's a guy who you know it's a quality fastball, quality slider. He's thrown more strikes than I think the people thought he might because he, he didn't pitch a lot last year. And he's going to go pretty good. You know, in my mock, I had him as the second pitcher drafted. Okay, uh, number 10 on your mock, uh, Alex Manoa. This is the pitcher out of West Virginia. He actually faced off against Nick Lodolo a few weeks back, and I'm sure many scouts were in attendance for that. Um, but he's just a big fella, 6'6", 270. Uh, looks like he has a 65-grade fastball or so, and he's had better command this year. Yeah, he has. I think, you know, he's kind of similar to Rutledge, fastball, slider, power guy, big bodied. You know, Manoa is, you know, 6'6", 260. Rutledge is 6'8", 240. Rutledge probably has, you know, maybe the stuff's like a half grade better, but I think Manoa controls his better, and he's obviously had success against a higher level of competition than Rutledge has. So those guys will get very close to one another. Okay, next guy on your board, uh, 13, this would be Shea Langoliers, the catcher out of Baylor. I have seen him everywhere in the first round from like as high as like six to like in the in the lower uh, 20s. Uh, what's your take on him? Um, he's, he's the best defensive catcher in the draft. He's one of the best defensive catchers maybe since Austin Hedges or, you know, Jake Rogers. But Jake Rogers wasn't a first round type of talent. Um, you know, I think he's a better hitter than he gets credit for. He slumped as a sophomore and had a handmade injury this year, but he's still put up put up decent numbers. I would be shocked if he won the top six picks, but I think he's going to go higher than most people expect. I, I just think you know, this first tier of college pitchers, which would be more kind of middle of first round types, and guys are going to reach up and take him kind of in that seven to fifteen range. I think somewhere in that mix, like I had him at 13, and I think he could go even higher than that. I, I just think, <laughs> I think he's better than some of those pitchers, and I think when it shakes out, he'll go ahead of some of them. Next guy I have for you is number 18 on your board. Uh, it's Quinn Priester, the high school pitcher, plus curveball, easy velocity, and it looks like his two-seamer sits right around 90, 92. Yeah, he's, he's, well, what, what, there's a lot of things to like about him. I mean, it's fastball, curveball. He's an advanced pitcher. I mean, he, he's got some feel for a changeup. Um, he's super athletic. He, he's got really good command for a high school pitcher. He's been good every time out, which is easier said than done, you know, especially in Illinois, where yeah, I'm actually up here in Illinois, and the weather's not that great up here during the spring. Um, and, and so basically, anytime you brought like a cross check or scan director and see him, he, he pitched well again. So he, he's just been so consistently good. Uh, the, the fastball, you can hit 97. The, the two seamers probably better than the four seamer. It's one of the better curves. It, it's really good feel for the craft. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me. If he went a little bit, you know, a team that's not afraid to take a high school pitcher, and there are teams wary of high school pitching in the first round because people think it's pretty risky. Uh, you know, Quinn Priester, I think you could make a case over some of those college pitchers who are going to go ahead of him. Number 23 on your board, uh, Cameron Meisner out of Mizzou. He's kind of had a poor performance in the SEC, but it looks like he has the tools to succeed. Yeah, it's. 
he's tough, and I don't know what to do with him because you know, he was I, I, he was my not necessarily pick the click. He was like my guy who maybe intrigued me the most coming into the year. Like I knew less about him because he he got hurt last year and he didn't play during the summer. And I was really looking for you know it was the type of tools you could take in the top five picks if he had a good year and he got off to a great start and he looked like he might be that top five pick after a couple of weeks of non-conference competition. And he's frankly been pretty terrible in the SEC. You know, last time yeah. I checked, it was he was in about 220 with not a lot of power. Mm-hmm. You know, if you t- if he went you know closer to 10, I could see it. Uh, but it's just like he didn't look great again this weekend, and I don't know what to make of him. I mean, he he depending on how you want to view it, is glass half full or glass half empty? He's either very patient or too passive at the plate, and it's kind of messed up his year. Um, the, the tools are very exciting, and he he's a guy who. I just don't have great feel where he's going to go for. Like I said, on the tools, he should go 10 or 15 picks at least higher than that. And if you were going purely on performance, I think it would be hard to take him in the first round. So I, I kind of split the difference on him. Fair enough. Uh, all right, so the last guy for the rapid fire, number 32 on your board, Daniel Espino, uh, high school pitcher. He has an elite-level fastball. But the funny thing about him, I was listening to the latest MLB Pipeline podcast, and you guys had Bobby Wood Jr. on. And he actually said he would rather face Jack Leiter than, or I'm sorry, rather face Espino than Jack Leiter because of Leiter's pitchability. Yeah, that wasn't a knock on Espino. I mean, Espino probably has the best fastball in the high school class. Um, you know, he, he's reached triple digits. He, he's got power slider, power curveball. The reason it, it, he's a guy who I think, like I hear on Twitter all the time, like people are like, you know, how come you don't have him going higher? Like, you know, like my first mock draft, I mentioned him as a guy that I thought was more likely to go in a sandwich or second round as a, like, like you take him with your second pick and you overpay him. I mean, the bonus would be the same, but that's just how teams treat high school right-handers a lot. You know, the, the knock on him is that I think of the top high school pitchers we're talking about, the top six or eight high school pitchers, he might have the best pure stuff. And he might also have the best chance of being a reliever. I, he's listed right. at six two. I think that might be kind. Um, he's not a real big guy. He's got a very long arm action, um, which makes it harder to you know repeat and command at times. And guys see the ball well at times. Um, so, very talented guy. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, I I thought it could make sense for the Astros there. Like like you know the the, the pure stuff is really exciting and you know if not that the Astros are looking to draft a reliever, but you know when you have a team that's you know World Series or bust every year now, if you get a guy who's got a special arm and he winds up being a reliever, so be it. You know they're they're, they're not looking for. I mean, you'd like to get it, of course, but like they don't have to find a Forrest Whitley type who you build a rotation around because they have a horrible team. They can they can take some liberties and gamble on some upside. Okay, so before we let you go, we want to try a new segment for you. Um, I don't okay. know if you're really familiar with the NFL draft. They have, towards like the 6th and the 7th round, they have a thing called Stump the Truck. No, I so, missed that this year. I, I watched the NFL draft, but I will not admit to, to watching all the way down to round 6 and 7. So. <laughs> yeah, so I guess some of, some of us uh, draft nerds stick around for that. But um, So we want to do a little fun thing called Stump Jim Callis. Okay. So we're going to give you two players. Uh, I just saw these guys on Twitter like projected to be like fifth or sixth round picks. So we're just going to give you their name and see if you can name the school and just give like a mini uh, scouting report on them. Okay, I'll try. I'll let Kyle go first. All right, so uh, my guy is Alex Brait. Alex, what's the last name? Brait, B-R-A-I-T. Okay, now I'm going to say the way we divide the draft up, you, you, you will have stumped the truck or stumped me on that one. We divide 
the draft in half, Jonathan May and I do, oh. after we get past the first 50 or 60 picks. So I'm going to guess I've got the whole Midwest, most of Big Ten country, and the entire South minus Florida. So because I've never <laughs> heard of him, I will guess that he is not in my half of the country. No, he's uh, he's actually a catcher from Florida Gulf Coast. Yeah, so see, I don't have Florida, so you, you got yeah. me on that one. Now, you, you give me some, give me a, a, in my domain. If you guys can stump me in my domain, I will be impressed, because I, I think I go pretty deep in my, in my half of the country. Do you say you don't have the Northeast? No, I do not have the Northeast. All right, I, I have some other guys listed, because I was going to do a guy from Bryant University. So I'm not going to do him. Who, who's that? Well, you know, it's like when Brian, I think, because I, I do our Indian stuff, I think of James Karinchak, who's having an unbelievable year uh, in double A for the Indians right now as a closer. But uh, that's not who you were going to ask me about. The guy I was going to go with was uh, Jimmy Titus. He's a shortstop. But let okay. me see if yeah, I... you, you would have gotten me. You would have gotten me because he's not in my half of the country. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Let me see if I can get somebody here. So I got to be ready for day well, two you of did... the draft where every pick in the top ten rounds. So I, I should be good, hopefully, on anybody you come up All with right. in my half of the country. Uh, okay, let me get two for you. Okay. So the first one would be Nick Snyder. I don't have Nick Snyder. Where's Nick Snyder mm-hmm. from? All right, he's with he's with West Virginia. Oh, I don't have West Virginia. That, that's, it's, I, Killing me. Sorry, it's not that <laughs> me. I, I, I was worried there because after popping off, I was like, I've never heard of Nick Snyder. So. All right. Um, the other name I have is Jake Holton. I don't know if he's in your region. I don't know if his, his college is. In. I don't think so. What school do you have him from? Creighton. From Creighton? Yeah. I do have Creighton. And you okay. said his name's – oh, no, Jake Holton? Is that what you said? Yes. I thought you said yes. J.C. Holton. Jake, Jake okay. Holton, yes. He is a, a first baseman at Creighton who's having a – last time I checked, he was in about 410. That's right. He, the, the top prospect on that team is Will Robertson. Mm-hmm. But Jake Holton, it's, it's great numbers as opposed to wow tools, but I've got uh, – Uses the whole field, doesn't miss his pitch when he gets it. Good hands, strong, kind of a hunched over stance, strength over bat speed. Probably DH because he's not a very good defender at first base. Okay, so all right, so just give us uh, one that we didn't name that that you think is a kind of a sneaky pick that could turn out pretty well. Oh, uh, like in the six to ten? Yeah, somewhere in the later in the draft. I get all kinds of obscure guys on here. Um, <laughs> Like I'm just looking at my my I have like a 11 page Word document in in eight okay. point type of like all these names, so I'm covered on day two. Um, you know, well, guys who did not make who who did not quite make our top 200, right. but I considered. So I like those type of guys. I don't know. You got guys like Caleb Killian okay. at Texas Tech is an interesting guy. He's a low 90s, uh, you know, solid slider starter, good body. Um, he's one. You know, Texas Tech's got another pitcher named John McMillan who has hit 100 miles an hour and was in the low 90s early in the year, and it's kind of it's kind of bounced back. Um, you know, he's kind of a he's kind of an interesting one. Um, I, I got all kinds of guys. I could go on uh, <laughs> all day with this. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Ohio has a bunch of guys who are going to go like fifth to eighth round, and we're going to put three or four of them on our top. Um, 200. The one guy who missed is a kid named Peyton Burdick, who's put up big numbers at at right state, and he's got uh, you know, kind of fits that right field profile. He, he's got he's strong. He's got raw power. Uh, he's got solid arm strength. He's an interesting guy. Uh, those, those are some of the guys. I guess high school wise, there's an interesting two way guy in Georgia named Michael Harris from Stockbridge High School, who you know the high school guys generally if they're going to fall that far won't go high enough to sign, but he, he's pretty interesting too.
Well, Jim, uh, obviously you're a wealth of knowledge, and we cannot thank you enough for uh, coming on the show. And uh, we're looking forward to the draft. Yeah, I am too. It's, I'm, I'm, it's, I got a bunch of reports to write, and when the draft is here, we'll meet all my reports. will be done, so I'll be able to enjoy it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. It, it, it should be interesting because I, I just don't think there's a lot of consensus after you know the, the hitters go at the top, and then there's a little mini run on on pitchers. You can definitely check him out at MLB.com with MLB Pipeline. Thanks again, Jim. Yeah, take care. Thanks, Jim.